We are getting close to the end of a series that we've been doing for a bit, and the series is titled Commitment Matters. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about commitment to the lost. Now, this message is speaking a little bit to believers, but if you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I'm a believer yet, you're still going to get something from this message, and you're going to be glad you came. The definition of commitment, the act of binding yourself to a course of action, no matter the cost or outcome. When someone is committed to something, they're saying to them, I'm going to do this no matter what. If you are committed to going fishing on Saturday morning, you go no matter what. You get up early, you take off, you do whatever it takes to go fishing. Commitment is a course of action that you're saying, I'm going to do this. There's nothing going to stop me. It's going to happen. It needs to happen. Well, commitment today, we're going to talk about commitment to the lost are those who don't know where they're headed. Being lost means you don't know the direction you're going in or you are unsure of your future. Okay, sometimes we think when we say the lost, oh, it's those, you know, it's only the people who are on the street or drinking. Yeah, they're lost as well, but anybody who doesn't know their purpose or their future technically is lost. In other words, if you don't know where you're going, you're lost. Has anybody ever been lost in real life? Wow, quite a few of you. Hey, that's really good. I'm not alone. That's, it's not a good feeling, is it? <laughs> I remember one time years ago, we were actually in Saskatchewan. We were doing some ministry down there for about a year and a half on a uh, key reserve, it's called. And it's about a 12-hour drive from Slave Lake. And uh, while we were down there, probably once a month or every second month, we would drive back to Slave Lake to visit family. And uh, that 12-hour trip just became routine. You would drive to Humboldt, Saskatchewan. You would turn left, gas up, come back on the highway, turn left, and head off to Alberta. And our kids were used to the trip. And uh, this one time, we'd been there for quite a while, and we, let's go. We headed out, and I did the usual thing, pulled left, gassed up, got snacks, pulled left back onto the highway, and was driving. And my wife looks at me, and she has this confused look. And she goes, I thought we were going home. And I had a confused look. I was like, we are. And she said, then why are you going the wrong way? And I'm driving, and I'm thinking, the wrong way. But I know my wife's pretty smart. She wouldn't just say it. So in my mind, I'm trying to think, is it possible that I'm going the wrong way? And I thought, I know. I'll check the surroundings. It's Saskatchewan. No matter what direction you go, there are fields and more fields. And I couldn't recognize if it was the fields on this side or that side of Humboldt. And I'm, everything in me knows I'm going the right way. But I thought, I'm going to turn around, go back to Humboldt so my wife can see that we are going the right way. So I turned around, and as we drove into Humboldt, I'm like, how did that gas station get on that side of the road? <laughs> and finally, it came to me, oh... We did something we never do. After the gas station, we crossed the highway to the McDonald's, so that meant I would have had to turn right to go home. I was going the wrong direction, but everything in me said I wasn't. 
Being lost is a strange feeling, and sometimes people don't even know they are lost. And when you try to tell them, they give the reaction I did. Whoop, what's wrong with you? I know exactly where I'm going. But church, you and I have a commitment to the lost because we are believers. Luke 19 verse 1 is a story from scripture about Jesus and a little short guy. Okay, let's do it. Nothing wrong with short guys, I'm just saying. He was a little short guy. Luke 19, 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased as he had gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. So Zacchaeus wants to get a look at Jesus. He ends up going up into a tree and Jesus says, come down, I'm going to be a guest in your house today. Verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Why did Jesus come? To seek and save those who are lost. Now this story is interesting because Zacchaeus was probably one of the most hated people in the region by the Jewish people. You see, he worked for the Romans who were suppressing the people, and he was a Jew, but he collected taxes from his own people to give to the Romans. He was paid fairly well for the position, but often when they were in that position, they took more than was required and kept it for themselves. So they stole it. And so they were hated by everybody. He was one of those people that everybody would have said, I'm not inviting him to church. There's no hope for him. Like, he's hopeless. Nope. I walk on the other side of the street when he comes. That's one of those guys you don't want your kids around. No. There's no way. And yet Jesus, when he sees him, says, you're the guy I'm looking for. And Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. But the point is, Jesus understood that this Man was ready to meet him. And we know he was because it said he was excited and joyful that Jesus wanted to come. So Jesus discerned that this notorious sinner, this uh, thief, was ready to experience his love. I want to say something to those of you who are believers. We need to be open and ready to receive people that others might think are hopeless. We need to want 
to find them for good reason. How many of you played hide-and-seek when you were kids? We used to uh, play a sort of a version of hide-and-seek. It was called Kick the Can. And the, that game of hide-and-seek, for some reason we often played it in the dark. I don't know what we were thinking, but you go hide, and then the person that's looking for you, if you can beat them to kick the can, you, you're not it. But if they beat you, you're it next time. So we'd play this version, and we were into the game like... Nothing could stop it. We were committed. And I remember this one time, there was two people racing for the can, and unfortunately, during the day, somebody had tied a long skipping rope between two trees at about this height. And one of them got the poop and the flip and the slam. You know, we stopped for all of about two minutes, and then we were back to the game because we were committed. We did take the skipping rope down. We were committed to a game of finding people. And it was exciting. Church, are you committed to find people who need him? Are you willing to take it beyond just a fun game and realize you can change somebody's life in this game? You see, because according to this, people who don't yet know Jesus have an uncertain future in their minds, but according to this, there's a future of either hell or heaven. And according to Scripture, if someone has not asked Jesus to forgive their sin, then their path is a path to hell. I don't know, that seems more important than just a game of finding somebody to me. That seems pretty worth well, taking some commitment and effort to look for those who need him. So let me ask you something. Are you committed to finding the lost? Because in the commitment that we see, finding is the first thing you need to do. Luke 15 verse 1 says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus is making a statement here to help them understand that his purpose, his focus was on those who needed his help. Not on just the religious people. And the Pharisees, they were the upper religious people, if you will. The ones who were supposed to be teachers. And the Pharisees really didn't like Jesus the way he did things. The reason they didn't like it is because he took the focus off them. It all of a sudden wasn't all about them anymore. You see, they'd gone for generations where everything was all about them. The whole religious system kind of revolved around them what they said, what they wanted. And now Jesus comes along and wrecks it all and says, 
We're not doing it that way anymore. We're taking the focus off of you guys and putting on those who don't yet know me. That's a focus shift. And if you've been used to selfish church where you only do your favorite song, where it's only all about you, you probably wouldn't have liked Jesus' ministry. Because he expected his followers to work hard with him, to go long hours late at night, and sometimes they didn't have food. You know the story where he fed all the people? His disciples worked with him for three days without food as well. Three days without food? Committed to reaching the lost. It's not all about us anymore. It's about them. Are we willing to find them? Jesus tells another story. Luke 15 verse 8. Suppose a woman had ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. What makes the angels rejoice? When lost people find him. Did you know that? doesn't say they rejoice when we have a potluck. Oh, I'm in trouble now. We do. We, we like eating. There's one thing that makes them rejoice. doesn't say they rejoice when we sing our favorite song. Woo! Nothing wrong with favorite songs. When we pack out the place. Woo! That feels good. Didn't say that makes them rejoice. You see, because we could have three people show up, and if one of them said, I need Jesus, what do I do? And they prayed that prayer and accepted him we would have a host of angels saying, Woo, yeah! Go, abundant life! Woo-hoo! That's the name of our church, if you didn't know. <laughs> church, the one thing makes them rejoice, and it's finding the loss. This woman swept her floor looking for the silver coins. Now, what you got to understand is houses those days weren't like our floors. Well, our floors, if you dropped a coin, it'd be pretty easy to find. They were dirt floors, dusty floors. That's why she had to sweep it to try to get the dirt and find where the coin went. As one speaker said, finding the lost sometimes gets messy. Can you imagine sweeping dirt looking for a coin? The whole house, dusty, dirty. But it was worth it. She put her focus on looking for the one that was lost. Church, our focus is definitely on those who don't yet know him. Yes, we love each of you, and we want you to grow and to be discipled and to be strong, but our main focus is can we reach them? And I found something out. It's you that reaches them. You see, you can find people that I don't know. You're associated with people. You work with people who need to know. And finding them is so, so important. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. If there is anything hidden about our message, is it hidden only to someone who is lost? The God who rules this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see the light. Which is the good news about our glorious Christ, who shows what God is like. We are not preaching about ourselves. Our message is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He also sent us to be your servants. 
What? And you thought you were going to join the worship team and be famous. No, he called you to be servants to those who don't yet know him or who have just come to him. You see, he's writing to a newer church that has just accepted Christ and some that haven't yet. And he says, we're here to be your servants. Oh my, that's a mind shift. I remember a season a number of years ago where ministers thought they should have servants and be treated like they were royalty. Don't touch me, I have an anointing. And here he says we should be servants. Oh my, I like that. Because isn't that how Jesus did it? Sure is. Do you want to know the ones that are lost, if they see you acting proud and arrogant like you're something great, why would they want to even talk to you? That isn't the way. Okay, that wasn't in the notes. Let's get back to the notes before I get you all upset. Commitment to find the lost. Secondly, commitment to love the lost. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 to 40. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two things. In other words, the whole book, everything it is there to teach us is to teach us how to love the Lord with everything in us and to love our neighbor as ourself. Your neighbors are anybody who's around you, so that would include a lot of people who don't yet know Christ. Someone asked Jesus in Luke chapter 10, well, who is my neighbor? It was a lawyer, and what that means is someone who was an expert in religious law. Not like our lawyers today, a little bit different. And they were actually testing Jesus to see if he knew what he was talking about. And they said, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story, Luke 10, 30. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. He bandaged him and put this man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Jesus wants us to love those around us, especially those who are in need, those who are lost. Jesus speaks to these religious people, and he, in his story, says two very religious people didn't care. They passed by. But a Samaritan who the Jews hated, he says a Samaritan who you guys hate, he did everything needed, even his own money, to care. What is Jesus saying? You call yourself a believer, you need to care about those around you who may be in need. Those around you who may be going through crisis. Those around you who don't know where they're going. And finally, 
we need to have commitment, first of all, to find the lost, to love the lost. We also need to have commitment to teach the lost. You see, if you are going out and talking to people and saying, hey, you know, why don't you come to church with me? Or you need to know about the good news, then that's great, but if you never care about them or you really don't love them, they're probably not going to care about what you have to say. And finally, if you find them, care about them, but you never teach them how to go forward, you're not going to see them fulfill their lives and the purpose God has. So that's why we teach at church, but that's also why we have life groups here. We ask people to join a life group where they can, it's more intimate. You can ask questions back and forth. People share their hearts. Everybody gets opportunity. I'm telling you, it is important to be taught and to grow. And also, our life groups allow us to reach out to people. We have a care life group where they take meals to people. When there's crisis situations in town, they find out who it is and off they go to help, as well as people in the church. But commitment to teach the lost is important. Matthew 28 and verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, Jesus commanded us to go find people, love them, and teach them. Church, that's commitment. You wonder why I titled it Commitment to the Lost? It takes effort, it takes time, and yes, it will cost you something. Too often we think, oh, we, we just need to say a little prayer and the whole town's going to accept Christ and all the criminals will be saved. And Really? You sure about that? Let me ask you a question today, church. When is the last time you found somebody who didn't know where they were going? When is the last time you loved and cared for somebody who didn't know where they were going? When is the last time you took someone alongside you and committed to take a journey with them by teaching them what you know, teaching them what you have? That takes work. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus traveled through the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Commitment to the lost is work. I'm wondering, who wants to be a worker? Jesus said, we need workers. He didn't say we need people to warm the chairs on Sunday. He didn't say we need more fans. We need more cheerleaders. He didn't say... Well, if we just had a fancier building, if we just had, you know, fancier equipment, that's what we need. That'll get more people. I, I have no problem with fancy buildings, fancy equipment. You need equipment to do what needs to be done. But he said there's a shortage of something else. Workers, are you committed enough in your faith to be willing 
to work. This message is getting real quiet now. Like, oh, pastor, I worked all week. I'm tired. Be quiet. Hurry up. This is a different kind of work. And it's a work that is greatly rewarded. Because you are rewarded by him. And you are paid by him. And oh my goodness, what a reward to see someone whose path was about to end in a place called hell, whose path is now on a journey of an abundant life here and an abundant eternity in heaven. That is worth it. That is so worth it. Yeah, you can clap. That is so worth it. Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus tells his followers, you got to pray for more people, guys. And literally in the next chapter, he calls them to himself. Verse 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, to heal every kind of disease and illness. And then he sent them out. He's serious about this. We need more workers, so he equips the ones that he's already been teaching and he sends them out. Church, in case you were wondering, the pastors here, we want to equip people to be workers. We want to equip people to be able to reach their friends and family. We want to equip you. And that is our role, is equipping. Because my goodness, if you are equipped, you see, I can only do so much. One person can only do so much. But when you're equipped and you're doing, it multiplies exponential. Suddenly we are reaching the world. And it is good. Who wants to reach the world? Well, guess what? The world starts with the person you work with. The world starts with your annoying neighbors. I, I don't have any annoying neighbors. I'm just throwing that out. The world starts with the people God has placed around you. He placed them around you on purpose, even the ones you don't like. He placed them around you on purpose so that you, when you're equipped, can reach them. The greatest commitment of all to the lost, of course, was Jesus himself. You see, Jesus understood commitment. Jesus, when he came to this earth, had already committed that he would go to the cross. He had already committed that he would be beaten, whipped, and bruised, that he would hang on a cross and die. He made that commitment and he stuck to that commitment. In the Garden of Gethsemane, shortly before he would be captured, he started to feel the pain and the weight of what he was about to go through for you and I. And he prayed to God, oh God, if there's another way. But if not, I'll do it. And he did it. He walked that road. He carried that cross and they nailed him on and he hung there for you and I. And as the people looked on, they began to mock him and make fun of him. But Romans 5 verse 6 says this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. You see, Christ understood something. People who are lost often don't know they're lost. 
Because as they mocked him while he was hanging there in pain, his words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It wasn't get them, let them burn. It was, Father, forgive them. They don't know. Believers, the people around you don't know. Many of them inside are amazing people. They were created by God just like you and I. The potential they have is unbelievable, but they don't know. Can you see past the don't know and help them to know? We're here today, and I don't know everybody who's here. Maybe you came today, and you have never made a commitment to Christ. You've never asked Him to forgive your sin and come into your life. If I said, are you a Christian or a believer, you'd say no. Or maybe you'd say, I'm not sure. If that's you today, I want you to be sure. Because I can tell you this. If you allow Christ to forgive you and come in, you are going to begin a journey that means something. You will no longer be lost. You will know the purpose and direction you are going for the rest of your life. Will it be easy? No. There will be days that are not easy. But you will have a purpose. You will no longer be lost. I want to pray a prayer with you today if that's you. You see, Jesus showed us how to be saved, and it's simple. In Romans 10 and verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's as simple as using words for what you're feeling in your heart. Isn't that something? That simple. Like, well, don't I have to do something great? No. You just ask him, and he'll do the rest. So I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me right where you're at, and I'm going to ask the whole church to join so nobody's singled out or feels like we're pushing on them. So bow with me, and if you will, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you now to forgive me of all my sin. Make me new. Use my life. Thank you for my new path. Amen. Give God praise for that this morning.